Okay, so we want to uh, start a lesson this morning. We're going to teach on the tabernacle. And uh, for those of you joining us by podcast, we will see if we can get this uh, slideshow up later for you. However, those of you that are here this morning, you'll have a great advantage because you're able to see what we're talking about. And of course, we already know uh, most people that have been Christian for any time recognize the fact that God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt and then begins the first thing that he calls the church. And it's so a lot of us that think that, you know, the church began on Pentecost, nothing could be further from the truth. And that is part of the error as to why we have a division between our Hebraic roots and then a new religion that came out of Rome of Christianity. And that is because uh, the original church was what God had set up whenever he brought the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. And then, as we know, uh, later they build a permanent temple on the place where God would place his name. And then we know that God allowed you and I, we couldn't go into that temple. We just got back from the place where we could only travel within about 10 cubits of the steps leading up to the temple. And there was a wall, a partition or a wall of separation. And there were uh, certain rituals we had to go to to be allowed to join the Jewish faith. So that may seem a little odd to all of you because... We have started, they were first called Christians at a certain place, and that wasn't a compliment, by the way. And uh, uh, so what we see is, and our understanding is, that uh, we have the fulfillment of the covenant, and just as the people we were just with have no knowledge of the half book they use, many of us haven't got full knowledge because we've only been taught half the book. It's whenever you put both portions of the book together that the glory and all the majesty and all of the hidden nuances that are hid in Christ, the riches of God in Christ, come alive. So what you're looking at right now is you're looking at the fact that after God brought them out of uh, Egyptian bondage, that he marches them to Mount Sinai, but he would not take them to the Promised Land until first they had built for him a structure, a place for him to dwell amongst them. Now at the Temple Institute, uh, according to the experts of Hebraic language, we visited there a few days ago. Actually, this scripture says to dwell in them. God's plan has always been to save that which was lost. And that which is lost is, whether you and I are abundantly aware of it or not, we lost connection with God. We lost the presence and the Spirit of God when Adam fell to sin. This is the purpose of the new covenant. It's when the fullness of time comes, God uh, finally... Uh, sends a likeness of himself in flesh through his own flesh and blood called his son. He makes available to you and I the ability to be reconnected with what it was that Adam had. And that is the indwelling of the spirit when he breathed into man the breath of life and he became a nephesh, a living soul. And so it is this born again experience that completes the new covenant that was not given until the day of Pentecost after Christ arose 40 days later when he ascends from the Mount of Olives, he tells them to go and tarry in Jerusalem till they be endued with what they call power, uh, recognized as the power to have dominion, which is what God gave us when he created us. He gave us dominion over every aspect of our lives. And what we learn is, is that in our life, as we experience problems, our problems are not really with God. Our problems are with ourselves. And so the whole purpose of studying tabernacle plan and the promised land is as he marches them to the promised land, he recognizes the fact that when they get there, it is a promise. But in the promise are all the enemy nations. 
However, studying, you'll find out the enemy nations came out of the same loins they came out of because all of us are battling our past. We're battling our DNA. We are battling our addictions, our afflictions. And to move forward to perfection, which simply means spiritual maturity, we must overcome what is in our blood. We must overcome what is in our past and so on and so forth. So he makes available to us the Spirit of God. So what he does is he gives us the typology of the tabernacle and he will not allow them to begin their sojourning or their march toward the promised land until first they have built a place for him to be in their midst and a place to place his name. And we'll start in Romans chapter 1 verse 20. For the invisible things of him, we're in the New Testament speaking of an Old Testament tabernacle, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Why? Because they're understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, what God is expressing is, is that when you woke up this morning and you beheld the beauty of the sun and the green of the grass and the absolute mystery of how without water nothing can survive and the rain and so on and so forth, that you should recognize that it wasn't some great wind that blew through a junkyard and created a 747, that this earth was by design. Everything here should speak to us of the Creator. So why do we study this Old Testament tabernacle? Well, you've got to remember, God described the whole creation of the heavens and the planet earth in only two chapters in the book of Genesis. But he describes this plan we're about to undertake studying of, called the tabernacle in 43 consecutive chapters in the book of Exodus with numerous references back to them all the way even throughout the New Testament in Exodus chapter 29. So obviously God is saying take note. Now I want you to think about what we are about to study. We are looking at a blueprint given by God of a spiritual typology of a plan whereby man could approach God. It is this plan that should your church, your denomination, your theology uh, align with the plan of God, then you can lay it firmly on this blueprint and it will match the steps by which God has given us to approach Him. So in Exodus chapter 29, verse 42 and 43, he says, This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the con congregation before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak there unto you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So as we look at what God's plan was, is when this tabernacle was to be completed, God's glory itself would come down, dwell in it, and sanctify it. And you'll notice that it was with a burnt offering that caused His presence to be able to dwell with them. Now, that's all very interesting because as we study later as he will bring into them in the book of Leviticus the five types of offerings the burnt offering is an offering where you do not get back a portion of the meal or the drink offering to have fellowship with God but it is one that is a totally consumed offering this is exactly what Christ was he gave his all there was nothing held back and so uh, the tabernacle as we know is where man is allowed to enter into a different relationship with God. And the blueprint of the tabernacle and its services are, of course, the pattern for God's plan of mankind's <laughs> salvation. So God sent his deliverance of the children of Israel through a man with blood, remember? How did they ever get out of bondage? God himself slew all the firstborn in typology of we must be born again. 
This is what he tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And Nicodemus was one of the leaders of the Sanhedrin, which was a 71-member legal council of the land of Israel. If the Romans had not been there, they were the jurisdiction and the judicial system of the land. They were the most knowledgeable, righteous men that had total uh, good report within and without and that had total understanding of God's word. And yet, he tells Nicodemus, Nicodemus, no you're not, you must be born again. He also tells this to the woman that he meets at the well later in Samaria, who's with her fifth husband, been married five times, but the one she's not with now is not her husband either. And so what we see is that God allows us to understand regardless of our status, whether we are a Zadokim, a righteous man, as Nicodemus was in the New Testament, or a Rashim, a sinner, a wicked person, possibly, as the woman he would meet at the well was, that all men need the new birth that he came to bring. This, without him hanging on Calvary's cross and being the burnt offering and being the representation of the tabernacle of God, it could not be brought back to us because the promise in Genesis chapter 3 was the fact that from the seed of a woman, the victory would come. And this is exactly why God had to manifest a son, flesh and blood. And he did that not through the DNA of a man, but the DNA was from the Father in heaven. And he did it as a promise fulfilled to Genesis chapter 3, where a human being would live a sinless life because every soul that sinned must die. But here we have Jesus, or Yeshua, that lived a sinless life, and yet he was crucified. He descended into the pit of hell. He took back the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And now for you and I to be absent from the body means now we can be present with the Lord where before then no man could be. So he sends his deliverance with blood. That is Moses that comes. God tells him to apply the blood to their doorposts. They do this with the lamb. Obviously, you understand the type and shadow, the prefigurement of Christ being the lamb that would take away the sin of the world. And through faith, we apply the blood to the doorposts of our lives, our house. We live in a house of dust, copper, manganese, iron ore, all the things that we're made out of. This is just a house. It's an outer carcass. Flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's what is within us. And with electronic technology and floppy disks and memory cards, we are beginning to understand that uh, our soul, that is what it is like. It is who we are. It is our memory bank that will be injected into a higher life form. This will not go to heaven. So uh, the instructions given for the tabernacle are given to Moses over a 40-day period. A 40-day period you will find all throughout Scripture. It is a number of testing. They were 40 days as the spies turned into 40 years of wandering because the 40 days they spied out the land. You will find that Jesus fasts for 40 days. Moses is at the top of the mountain 40 days. We will be entering in here to Teshuvah in a few months, which is a 40-day period of repentance before we enter into Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Uh, in Exodus uh, 24, he gives us instructions to Moses to include the plan of how one man is going to be able to bring blood to God to deliver men from bondage. And of course, uh, ahead of ourselves, uh, he hasn't given them the plan of the seven appointments of the God or the seven feasts of the Lord, not Jewish feasts, the feasts of the Lord. And you're seeing people come, become aware of this now. Uh, and on that feast where their sins would be rolled ahead until the Messiah would come that could pay the final price because the blood of bullocks and goats could not redeem us. It was simply a typology to where they would do it in faith until the true lamb that would take away the sin of the world would come. So in Exodus 24, we're going to read verses 16 and 18. 
And the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered in six days. And the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mountain. And Moses was in the mountain forty days and forty nights. And there God gives unto him not just 613 commandments, which actually do include many of the attributes of how to build the temple, how to uh, perform the services of the temple, but also of the tabernacle. And so Moses is there receiving all these instruction, as well as uh, we know now that upon careful observation that God himself brought to Moses the Ten Commandments. God did. God had already hewn them on two tablets of stone. It was God that wrote those. And we see where Moses breaks those, and we now understand through uh, the sages, those two tablets were actually carved out of the spot on the top of the mountain that we just visited, Mount Moriah, where today the dome sits, where at one time Solomon's temple sat, where the Ark of the Covenant would sit. So everything ties back to the beginning. Uh, in Exodus, uh, and, and then you also see where it's the seventh day that God calls Moses to the top, and you've learned by now the typology of the seven-day plan of God. He creates the heavens and the earth in six days. The seventh day is the Shabbat. Every day with the Lord is as a thousand years. The genealogies show us now we've been here about 6,000 years. We are about ready to enter into the day of the Lord, which is the book of Revelations, which we know as the millennium. So it is a typology, once again, of when we will be in his presence as Moses was on the seventh day. In Exodus 25 and 40, and he tells Moses, And look that thou make them after the pattern which was showed thee in the mount. So God does not allow man to build this haphazardly or however he desires. It is once again blueprinted by God himself. And the tabernacle is where God's going to dwell with man. And an interesting point, how we could miss it, I don't know, is that the outer covering of this tabernacle is made out of skin. Moses will receive the, receive the blueprint of the tabernacle at the end of the third month. You will see this in Exodus chapter 19 and 1. And then in the third month when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. And then the tabernacle is completed nine months later. And you can do the calculations as you read Exodus chapter 40 verse 17. And it came to pass in the first month and the second year on the first day of the month that the tabernacle was reared up. So what we are seeing in this typology of the tabernacle is the fact that for some unbeknownst reason, God sees to it that from conception until completion is nine months to build this house of skin. Now we all understand the gestation period of human is nine months and we live in a house of skin. And so what God was simply foreordaining and foreshadowing is just as his Shekinah, his glory, his uh, main computer bank, even though he would fill all of heaven and all of earth, a Christian misunderstanding is of a triune God that has never been anywhere taught except after it came through the Chaldean mysteries and the Babylonian mysteries through the Roman church. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the first commandment, the Lord our God is one. And when you look at me, I'm holding up one finger. When I hold up this many, not even a child would ever think that is one. And so you've been taught they are one in purpose, <coughs> one in essence, but they are also being that as well, just one in personage. The difference is you are a triune being, but you are one person. You have a body, you have a soul, you have a spirit. The spirit of God fills all the heavens and the earth. You cannot go anywhere that he is not, but yet when he clothes himself in a body, 
It is through His Son, the only begotten, the flesh and blood of God, that the Bible clearly establishes, not Roman tradition, that all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily in Him. That He is the manifestation of the invisible God. As a matter of fact, Isaiah 9 and 6 expresses to us, Here, O... Uh, Unto us a child is given, unto us a son is born, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and this child shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So this is not us sliding the Father. This is us completely fulfilling the book of Philippians, where someday every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Now how many lords are there? Hero Israel, the Lord, our God, is one Lord. And so uh, I challenge each of you to prayerfully not go to your favorite Bible scholar, but seek the Lord that you can be like Peter, that he will reveal himself to you. Because the Bible expresses that no man knows the Father, nor does any man know the Son, except to whom the Son will reveal himself. He revealed himself eight days after the resurrection to a man named Thomas, who was a hero Israel, the Lord our God is one, a Jew, And when Thomas saw the resurrected Christ, he fell at his feet, would never have blasphemed, and said, My Lord and my God. And so the book of Revelations ends with the last thing that I and every minister or angel of the church is to teach the congregation. One of the biggest problems we have in America today, this has nothing to do with the tabernacle I'm ranting, one of the biggest problems we have in the church today is because you have lost the understanding of the deity of Christ. He is either God Almighty or he is nothing at all. And anyone that does not accept him as deity is already the spirit of the Antichrist. Therefore, we have allowed many ways to the Father. And this is why we are living with the results in America that we are experiencing today. You are going to see a revival of people that begin to pray to come into the knowledge of the one God. This will replicate the separation of the kingdom when Jeroboam and Rehoboam split over the place where the name was to be placed. Okay, and so with that, uh, we're going to go to John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word, the Logos, the thought of God, was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. We beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And therefore, the man Christ Jesus, if it's okay, I would like to speak with Bible teaching, not tradition, is never called the eternal Son. You can speak that and you can call him God the Son, but you will never find that in the Scripture. You're here to learn, so we're teaching you Bible. But he is called the only begotten. This day I have begotten thee. Because he is the visual manifestation of the plan of God when the fullness of time comes. Therefore, we will throw all of our crowns at his feet, not denying the Father, for we recognize we can't see the Father, Regardless of any books you've bought, the Bible declares that no man has seen the Father at any time. And the glory of the Father will still fill the heavens and the earth. But it is through this physical manifestation of the house of skin that the tabernacle of God will be amongst us. So the Word is made flesh, dwells amongst us. We beheld this glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So in John 1 and 14, the Word was made flesh and tabernacled. If you will look in your concordance and you will look up that word dwelt, you will find out John being in the lineage of the priesthood wrote and the vocabulary and the understanding of priests, not as Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And you will see the progression from Matthew to Mark to Luke 
to when we get to John, he is deity. When we start out in Matthew, it is a revelation of who he is. And so you'll notice that he understood, here he is John, not going to change in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That would be blasphemous. That was the only Bible he had. And the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. It tabernacled with us. So as we study the tabernacle, we will begin to relate to the fact that you can't put God in a box, nor are we able to go anywhere God is not, because God does not fill our universe. Our universe is in God. Everywhere you could go, God is there. Yet when he reveals the Shekinah, the glory, the main computer bank, and this was the purpose of Yeshua taking Peter, James, and John to Mount Hermon and revealing the glory of God in him, we call the Mount of Transfiguration, when that same light, that lapid, that torch that came down and Abraham had entered into the covenant between the halves, he was placed in a deep sleep and this beautiful light passed between the halves. Therefore, Yeshua Jesus leads the boys back to that spot that that took place at and he allows them to see that same lapid, that same torch, that same presence of God manifest through his flesh and we call this the Mount of Transfiguration and we beheld his glory whiter than any fuller could whiten a garment. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For we that are in this tabernacle grown, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up in life. So we see where we too are recognized as tabernacles. We've been made in the image and the likeness of whom? God. When God said, let us, it actually, for those of you that want to go a little deep, is taken from the plurality of the world, word Elohim. It never meant persons. It simply was a majestic plural to express one deity and is also used of heathen deities in the beginning. So many people go back to that place where God said, let us. And if you'll go to the original Hebrew manuscripts, uh, it will really empower you to greater biblical knowledge. So what we see is who God had given us this plan where he would tabernacle in flesh, then you and I are made in his image. We too want to now be born again, that we come into the family of God and we become the tabernacle of God. Uh, in part, we won't have all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Second Peter, yea, I think it met as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle even as our Lord Christ has showed me. Uh, when we go to Revelations chapter 21, we're sticking with the understanding, the pertinent reasoning for the teaching of the tabernacle plan, not just because we need to understand an accurate plan of salvation, not a Roman wafer or a Roman weekly taking of something we call communion or by the traditions of men, but by getting back to the Word of God, then what we recognize is the first thing God wanted us to understand is who that was. Uh, when we get to the book of Zechariah and it talks about the one coming back, Revelation speaks of one coming back on a white horse. His name shall be called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Just one coming back. And so in Zechariah, whenever God begins to speak to the Jewish people about whom it is that they would reject, he says, and God says, and in that day you'll look upon me who you have pierced. So I'm helping those of you that have been trained in ways that are unbiblical and yet that tradition has never been questioned. And this is not a slam or a slur taking anyone's salvation. You're in this class because you desire to know what the Bible teaches. And I am an original Trinitarian. I believe that God the Father is the Spirit that fills all the heavens and the earth. 
When it calls the Father, it speaks of creation. I believe that He is the Son in redemption. I believe that He is the Holy Spirit in regeneration. But I believe He is one being, and when I was made in His image, that's why I do not have two twin brothers. And so, it is a very hard thing, if you have been raised Muslim, to, when you become a certain age, to change your thought process. If you've been raised and you are in the denomination of the church, the first church of the Jalapenian, it's hard to get you out of that. Because first, you must begin to forget what you've learned unless it was Scripture. It is very hard to untrain someone because what we really become is brainwashed. And this is what we need, is the washing of the water of the Word. And so when we get to the book of Revelation, staying on this theme of God manifesting Himself in a house of skin, we go to the last book of the Bible and it says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Now, that doesn't mean that the tabernacle that was built all the way back uh, 4,000 years ago, or that uh, that house is there. It is now speaking of the true tabernacle of God, which is Christ that came to tabernacle. Otherwise, we wouldn't see God. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They shall be his people. God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. There won't be any more death, sorrow, crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. Former things are passed away. And he, not they, he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write for these words are true and faithful. He says, It's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcomes will inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. So when we go to the book of Revelations, the book of Revelation, for those of you that call it the book of Revelation, it's actually a misnomer because it starts with the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what the whole book is about. It reveals Christ as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And the last message given to every pastor that he is to teach his church, the last recorded words of Jesus in red letters in Revelations chapter 22, is that I am to come to you and help you to understand. And Jesus says, go to them and teach them that I am the root and the offspring of David. I am David's creator, but yet I am going to be his son that sits upon the throne forever. So it's a very important thing as we begin to cover this. Colossians 1 and 19, For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. So the Spirit of God was pleased within this tabernacle that He had created. Colossians 2 and 9, For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In John 2 and 19 and 20, Jesus answered and said unto them, If you'll destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. Now, you want you to notice that the mystery of the tabernacle, as we also get into the mystery of the Ark of the Covenant, the Mercy Seat, and all the other typologies and patterns, is Jesus on the cross thirsted. Jesus hungered and Jesus died. Jesus also wept. And we can go into the humanity, and this therein lies the mystery of what they couldn't quite figure out at the Council of Nicaea when they came up with a triune Godhead in the Roman church. Because at times Christ would speak as a man, but yet the same man that thirsted, was the same man that turned water into wine, was the same man that walked on water. And so he would speak to us from his flesh. This is the mystery. And he would speak as God in him. And as a man, when he hung on Calvary, God cannot die. If he was co-equal, co-existent to God, which you'll never find in the Scripture, 
then we have an utmost problem because God can die. So when you rightly divide the word of truth and you understand that the mystery of the Trinity, and I hate to use that word because it's not a Bible word, the mystery of the Godhead is the fact that God would create a tabernacle, a house of skin, and He would dwell in it. And because of the power which Adam had lost, this tabernacle of skin would be able to overcome all sin. And because of that, then the blood that flowed throughout the veins of this tabernacle, this sun, this flesh and blood of God, would be the antidote for all sin, just as anti-venom for a snake bite. But yet, on Calvary, Christ had to cry out, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because the mystery was the fact that at that point, God the Father has to leave the house that he is living in because the house is about to drink of the cup of sin. And God cannot come into contact with sin, nor can he become sin for us. So the man, the man, the man not the God, the man Christ Jesus partook of every sin, drank of that cup, and for the first time felt what you and I felt, which was separation from the Father. And this is why, too deep and I'm off subject, this is why that he now liveth to forever make intercession for us. Because God who is a spirit cannot understand hot, cold, or temptation. But in the days of his flesh, being tempted in all things in like manner as you and I, we now can come boldly before the throne of grace because we are coming before the tabernacle that God dwells in. And the flesh is making intercession because it paid the price for our sin. It was the man Christ Jesus that took the wrath of God as he was beaten and then spat upon and then crucified. And because of that miracle, the soul, and here is the mystery, and it's too deep, most wouldn't want to teach you this, then Acts 2 tells us that the soul of the man went into hell and there won for us the victory. So, creating a lot of questions and that's what we do to learn. It should inspire you to study or give up and say, I don't want to learn anymore. I like my theology and I'm quite comfortable. So in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead. So in John chapter 2, he says, destroy this temple. And he says, I'm going to raise it up. Not my father. I'm going to. 2 Corinthians 5 and 18. To wit that God was in Christ. If you have never been taught the error of three people in a Godhead, these scriptures are quite plain. It's the unlearning that's hard and the bad press on people that would ex express this. 2 Corinthians 5 and 18, To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and he had committed to us the word of reconciliation. So we understand, as we study this house of skin that was nine months in the making, the representation of what it would be and what it was to accomplish. In Acts chapter 5, we're going to go to verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him has God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so also is the Holy Ghost whom God had given to them that obey him. 1 John 1 and 1. That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, the word of life, that which was from the beginning. In 1 Peter 5 and 1, the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, 
and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. So we jump back to Exodus and we recognize, he says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. This is exactly what God did in Christ. It's not a new thing. This is why he called his church the church in the wilderness. So the first church was the tabernacle. According to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, so shall you make it. And you shall make an ark of shittim wood. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. Now, a cubit is about the length from the tip of my finger to my elbow, about 18 inches, 18 and a half, 18 and three quarter, 18 and a quarter, there's different ideas. So this will allow you to understand how long Moses's which later became Aaron's, which was given by Moses to God, this will help you to understand how long Moses' rod that was handed to Aaron was because it was placed within the box. So as great as I love the Ten Commandments, Moses' staff wasn't some big six-and-a-half-foot-long thing. Anyway, so I'm just sharing with you that as much as we love to relax in our thought process, and we're not saved by knowledge, we're only saved by faith in the blood of Yeshua, that many times we can have a totally wrong idea, but because we believe it, it becomes truth. Exodus 25, 16 and 17, And thou shalt put in the ark of the testimony which I shall give thee, and thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. Now, I don't want to get ahead of my lesson, uh, but they build the ark first because the word of God's going to go into the ark. So before the tabernacle is ever built, we need something for the word because all things were created by him and for him and was not anything made that was made for he was the word and God said. And so the expression of God was his word and so he was crucified. The thought of God, the plan of God before the foundation of the world, God had already formulated a plan that should he bring you into being in a flesh and blood body and let you enjoy the five senses to see if you could overcome them. That he already had planned a plan for your failure. This should speak to you of the love of God. Exodus 25 verse 21 and 22. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I will give thee. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims that are on the ark of the testimony, of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. Now, the ark of the covenant is actually, uh, I don't want to say it's just two parts, but let's just major on a couple of things. You will notice the lower section with the staves or the bars or the poles on which the ark is to be carried. But you will also notice on the top of this almost looking as a coffin, this container called the ark, uh, that there is a top portion that has two angels, cherubims, their wings touching above, and this portion is made differently than the ark. It is actually a different piece of the furnishings of the tabernacle because this portion is made out of one complete beaten work of gold. And I've used this many times in wedding ceremonies that it is called the mercy seat. And it actually forms a circle because no man can tell you where God's mercy begins nor where God's mercy ends. And that is why we are able to come boldly now before his throne, which this represents, of grace. And if you remember 
what God has done is He has placed a container of which He will give them instruction to build that His laws will be placed in, His Word, His instruction. And therefore, the purpose of the mercy seat covering these is that when God would commune with us, we would be covered, not Him seeing us and dealing with us through His law, but Him dealing with us through His mercy. This is the hour we live in. We live in a time of grace through the man Christ Jesus, but when He comes again, that grace will be over. He said, I have not come to bring peace. This is a scripture Jesus quotes. He says, I have come to bring a sword. And if you don't understand that, that means all that do not obey will die. And that sounds a little harsh, and I don't have time to get into that. This is God's house you're in, this whole earth. He made this perfectly. It can take care of all that are born on it. But we have turned it into a den of thieves. And anyone not willing to be obedient to his laws will have no place in the world to come because you would just once again make it what it is now, a very polluted place. So he has a place you can go dwell. But it will not be with the righteous. So what we see is, as we walk through this, the plan given in Exodus chapter 25, verses 10 through 16, Actually, we'll start 9-11. According to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. And they shall make an ark of shittim wood, and it gives the dimensions. Now, this ark is made out of two distinct... I'm not talking about the mercy seat. Now, I'm talking about the place where the word would sit. The ark is made of two different distinct materials. It is made of gold, but it is also made of wood. And the best way I can express this is that you would build first the box of wood. It's made out of shittim wood. And then they were to build a larger box out of pure gold. They would set the box of wood inside of the outer box. It was made of pure gold. And then within that box, they would put another box of pure gold, sandwiching the wood to where it was sandwiched between the gold. Therefore, you would not see the wood, even though it was made out of wood. You cannot make gold wood, neither can you make wood gold. It was two very distinct, two very distinct uh, items that he used to make this because it would represent what I have been ranting of, and that is the mystery of how Jesus was both God and man. He was human as the tree, cut off from the land of the living, but yet he was divine in the fact that the spirit that came to live in him was sinless. For it was the creator of all things. So when we look at uh, John chapter 19, verse 5, Then Jesus came forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said unto them, Behold the man. This is very true. However, uh, we just left Caiaphas' house about six days ago, and the reason for those of you that have not studied that they crucify Christ is because he is found guilty of he made himself God. And for this they crucified him, because Caiaphas says, You being a man hath made yourself God. And this is exactly why the question from Yeshua to Peter is, Who do you say that I am? And so this is a revelatory thing that if you ever come into this realness or this alignment, if you've not, you need to pray Jesus to show you the Father. There are some revelatory things that I know Christians go throughout their entire life and never go any deeper because they are not aware of how deep the well of knowledge is. And once you receive this, then you will understand why men were able to be crucified upside down. You will understand why men in other countries are able to be martyred for the cause of Christ because it is a new revelation that will change in a greater fashion your paradigm 
because it makes God a friend that sticks closer than a brother. It does not de-deify him, but it helps you to relate to him. This is why everything I do, I do as instructed in the one name given among men, Acts 4 and 12, whereby I must be saved in the name of Jesus. For there is no higher name given. Acts 28, he expresses to us in verse number 18, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. So as you walk through, some of you may this be your first time to hear such things, as you begin to study on your own, you'll begin to slowly read and recognize, wow, this, I, I'm seeing this in a different light. So then in John 20, verse 27 and 29, we have the man, the wood, but he really represents the ark. As a matter of fact, there's only one place this word is used, we'll get to it later, and Jesus is called copper oath, which means the mercy seat. Remember in the Old Testament when one time they took the lid of the ark off and God slew like four or 40,000 people because they were looking at him through his law and his law demands justice. It's his mercy and our faith in that mercy that keeps us from the judgment. So in John chapter 20, then let's look at how he was represented as being gold, represented uh, by the purity then said he to Thomas, go ahead, Thomas, and put your finger and behold my hands. Put your hand in my side where the spear was. Be, don't faith, be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered him, says, you're my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, Thomas, because you've seen me, you believed. But blessed are they that haven't seen, and yet they will come to believe. 1 Timothy 3 and 16, without controversy, it is quite mysterious, Great is the mystery of God, for God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was then seen of angels, and he preached to the Gentiles, believed on in the world. He received up into glory. Matthew 1, 21 through 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Interpret that being he is God with us. Isaiah 9 and 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So we are not in a blasphemous mode whenever I call Jesus the Mighty God or the Everlasting Father. As a matter of fact, people have an ability to do that I know have arrived. When I pray, I pray biblically. Jesus! When I pray denominationally, I pray, Heavenly Father, in the name. We say, well, that's what he taught. That's another lesson. So this is not a rant. You've got to understand my, my place and my calling. My calling is not to be popular. My calling is to bring you into the truth and the original understanding of the word. 1 John 4 and 10. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation, which means the mercy seat for our sin. So once again, the purpose of the tabernacle and the plan is to share with us how God had foreordained a design that your soul could be saved. Not your skin, not your flesh, not your blood. Don't worry about it. It's going to die. The tabernacle is a picture of God's approach to man. He is reaching from the mercy seat for whosoever will. And this is called grace. God's grace designed a way for man to be re reconnected to his father and man reaching back to God is called faith. Man believes God's plan and therefore he follows it. 
And I think this would be a, a good place to end lesson one.